it's it's always difficult to try to get a sense of of where we are in the economy and and try to see the future. But one of the reasons I always enjoy, one of the many reasons I always enjoy chatting with Rafael Lazardi, the chief financial officer of Texas Estimates, is he's in a unique position to see the future because of order flow, if nothing else. Rafael Lazardi joins us right now. It's good to have you with us. Hi, David. Good to be here. So I was going back a couple of weeks ago. You you had earnings and you met all the analysts. And at the time you were saying, you know, the the business landscape for you guys anyway was pretty slow. I guess most everywhere except for the automobile business. Yeah, we're uh, in the middle of a, a classic semiconductor cycle. We have been for uh, three quarters. Uh, when you look at personal electronics, a little less uh, for industrial. And as you said, automotive uh, uh, continues to, to be strong, at least in first quarter. Uh, so, so that's the current landscape, putting aside the, the broader macro uh, uh, situation. But, but our view is always uh, over the long term in semiconductors, uh, uh, content just continues to increase in, in all aspects of life. So we're very bullish over the long term, over 2, 3, 10, 15 years. Well, I know you're bullish because you're spending money like crazy. I mean, $11 billion, I see it. You there? Well, yes. Uh, so we, wait, wait, no, we here, are let, yeah, money. let me finish. I, there was a breakup in the line. Let me. Uh, uh, so you're spending eleven billion dollars on a Utah plant, and of course, just starting construction of what it may ultimately be thirty billion dollars in Charlotte. Yes. So we are making a significant investments. Those are capital uh, expenses, or so capex. What what people talk about capex, um, and yeah, those are big investments. We are we're, we just finished uh, building uh, late last year the second. A factory in Richardson, that's RFAP2, that's a 300-millimeter state-of-the-art uh, analog uh, factory. Uh, we just broke ground on two similarly-sized factories in Sherman, and that's a complex that eventually will have at least four uh, factories, and that's the 30-some billion dollar investment that you refer to, and all those will be 300-millimeter. And we have, uh, we, we, we're about to break ground later this year, on a second factory in Lehigh, Utah. We bought one uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, we just released it to production, and now we're building a second one there. Yeah, so that's that's uh, the $11 billion, right? That, that's right, about $11 billion on, on that one. Uh, and these are all long-term investments. This money is not going to be spent in one or two years. Uh, uh, all those figures that I just quoted, that will be invested over over several years. But that will just put us in a great position over the long term um, to uh, – uh, satisfy the demand and grow market share uh, in our in, in the analog and embedded spaces. So, let me ask the naive question. So, when you build a semiconductor plant, can those? I mean, those you can make semiconductors for anything. I mean, they could make for an automobile or for a for my Wi-Fi in the house or or for something yet to be discovered. I guess. Uh, yes, um, but th- but it's for this are. Uh, tuned, fine-tuned for analog and embedded uh, type of products. So the process technology that goes in there, uh, which is generally described as legacy uh, by uh, people in the media, is generally 45 nanometers to 180 nanometers. So it's not the the 7 nanometers, even 4 nanometers that sometimes uh, you hear people talk about when they talk about advanced uh, technologies. That's generally for digital, so CPUs, GPUs, the type of products that Intel, NVIDIA produces. What we produce, analog and embedded, those are built on legacy process technologies. But those uh, process technologies are optimal for what for what we build, those analog and embedded uh, processing parts. And, yes, 
you know, new applications, new things will come out in the future, and those will be released in, in those factories. But but the thing we keep hearing about, of course, now the, the big hot topic is is uh, AI and, and chat GPT, and, and I guess that's NVIDIA's chips. Are you in that business, too? So we are in the sense that uh, for every NVIDIA chip, every uh, GPU, CPU, that costs hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, you need a lot of analog and embedded processing around that. So, you know, our average selling price is anywhere between 30 cents to a couple dollars, in some cases maybe more than a few dollars, but on average it's in the less than a dollar. So significantly lower than what NVIDIA, uh, you know, those GPUs sell for. But if you don't have analog and embedded, the, the NVIDIA chip is not going to work, right? So you have... You need power uh, regulation, you need battery management, you need signal chain, uh, linear regulators. All those things cost pennies, uh, but they're, they're critical to making everything work. Same with, the, with uh, a car, an industrial system, uh, an x-ray machine. You have the very expensive chips. We don't manufacture or sell those, but we sell everything else, all the, the less expensive parts that are absolutely critical to making those uh, applications work. And and will be used forever <laughs> and in the in the future, which is why I guess you could make these these long term commitments in Sherman or Utah or, or other places. It, it, exactly. In fact, it's, it's even better. Um, so while uh, some of the digital chips um, they need to refresh those every year, every couple of years, on the analog and embedded side, you actually don't refresh for decades in some cases. Uh, so that also works well from an investment standpoint because we invest the R and D. And we don't have to reinvest it in the same products. We invest in new products and new things. Uh, so you get much better return on investment uh, uh, following that model. So we started out talking about just another one of those slowdowns in, in your business. And it is it is cyclical. So where is the slowdown? Because you're a global operation. Is it is it a global slowdown or is it more in Asia or Europe or is it here? Yeah, so the way we look at it is mainly uh, by end markets. So the personal electronic space. And by personal electronics, I'm talking about phones, laptops, uh, TVs. Uh, that slowed down first. It's probably been almost a year since we started seeing the uh, the slowdown. And that's expected given that during the pandemic, um, a lot of what people bought uh, kind of ahead of of, uh, of time, so to speak. And we didn't know it at the time, but suspected it. Uh, but a lot of what people bought were those personal electronics, right? Yeah. Everybody was, was stuck at home, and they were buying more TVs, more computers. So... At some point, you you can only have so many of those, right? And they don't go bad uh, uh, every year, so you don't have to replace them. So that's what uh, was slowed down first. And uh, and industrial then uh, over the last, I want to say, quarter, two quarters, that we have seen the the slowdown there. But that's a normal cyclical behavior as uh, as customers and the whole supply chain finds out that they have too much inventory and they just slow down their orders and. You know, you need some process, uh, some time to digest that inventory. And once it's digested, then then the demand resumes. You know, I was, I was talking about your ability to predict the future, and I, I tongue-in-cheek. But, you know, I can remember in, in conversation I – mean, I'm looking for the next big thing, I think. In conversations with your predecessors, I was told about a Nokia handheld telephone that would allow me to talk for two hours without recharging a battery. And it was a TI chip that did it. Same thing with automobiles, that, that electric cars that did just absolutely remarkable things, maybe even drive themselves completely one day. And again, it was it was back to chips. Is there a next big thing out there? 
you know, the beauty of our business model is that we're not dependent on any one big thing. Right? Yeah. Our parts, uh, we have uh, about 100,000 different customers, 80,000 different parts. Uh, any one part accounts for, uh, at most, a uh, relatively very small percentage of our revenue. So we're not dependent on any, any big thing as the whole you know, society uh, moves forward with more electronics, making our lives uh, easier, safer, more energy efficient. Uh, we are enabling that and, and we'll continue to benefit uh, uh, from that market. Well, there's certain barriers to entry. It's not as though somebody could wake up and say, hey, I think I'll go into the semiconductor chip business and go spend, you know, $11 billion in Utah. Yeah, so <laughs> the way we think about it, um, we have competitive advantages and uh, that puts us in a in a great position. And the first one, is uh, our manufacturing technology. So speaking of those you know, new factories that we're building, that uh, strengthens our competitive advantage. Uh, the second one is the broad portfolio that we have, those 80,000 parts. If a customer uh, uh, comes to you and wants to, uh, wants to engage with, uh, with a supplier, ideally they'll engage with a supplier that can give them a lot of the parts they need. And instead of going to 10 or 20 different ones for 10 or 20 different parts, so that's another advantage that, that we have that puts us in a, in a great position to compete. Rafael Lazardi is the Chief Financial Officer of Texas Instruments, and we always learn something from our conversations. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Thanks a lot. For more of our conversation, go to krld.com slash CEO. I'm David Johnson, News Radio 1080 KRLD.